Welcome to the One Year Bible Tour. It's March 1st. My name is David McAdam, and I'm happy to be your guide as we enter our third month of reading through the Bible together. Congratulations! We are one-sixth of the way through our spectacular tour of God's redemptive history with 66 different outlook points prepared by 40 different authors who were living and writing over a period of 1,500 years. As we read through the story of the people of Israel, we're picking up the vocabulary of redemption in which the Holy Spirit will use to speak to us for the rest of our days. We are currently beholding a multifaceted jewel in the book of Leviticus which reflects what Jesus described as worship in spirit and truth, that is, worshiping God on God's terms, not our own. The Holy Spirit wants to be sure that our understanding of what is unveiled in the New Testament is informed by what He has introduced in the Old Testament. The gospel reality is that after the resurrection and ascension, Jesus entered a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, in order to obtain for us eternal redemption, in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 to 12. We trust that the Holy Spirit is shedding light on the Scriptures and that you are beholding Christ, the living Word, in the written Word. So let's begin our reading together in the book of Leviticus, chapter 24, beginning with verse 1, the lamps. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the people of Israel to bring you pure oil from beaten olives for the lamp that a light may be kept burning regularly. Outside the veil of the testimony, in the tent of meeting, Aaron shall arrange it from evening to morning before the Lord regularly. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. He shall arrange the lamps on the lampstand of pure gold before the Lord regularly. Bread for the tabernacle. You shall take fine flour and bake twelve loaves from it, Two-tenths of an ephah shall be in each loaf, and you shall set them in two piles, six in a pile, on the table of pure gold before the Lord, and you shall put pure frankincense on each pile, that it may go with the bread as a memorial portion, as a food offering to the Lord. Every Sabbath day Aaron shall arrange it before the Lord regularly. It is from the people of Israel as a covenant forever, and it shall be for Aaron and his sons and they shall eat it in a holy place, since it is for him a most holy portion out of the Lord's food offerings, a perpetual due. Punishment for Blasphemy Now an Israelite woman's son, whose father was an Egyptian, went out among the people of Israel, and the Israelite woman's son and a man of Israel fought in the camp, and the Israelite woman's son blasphemed the name and cursed. Then they brought him to Moses. His mother's name was Shelemeth, the daughter of Dibri, of the tribe of Dan. And they put him in custody till the will of the Lord should be clear to them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Bring out of the camp the one who cursed, and let all who heard him lay their hands on his head, and let all the congregation stone him. And speak to the people of Israel, saying, Whoever curses his God shall bear his sin. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him. The sojourner, as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. An eye for an eye. Whoever takes a human life shall surely be put to death. Whoever takes an animal's life shall make it good, life for life. If anyone injures his neighbor, as he has done, it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, 
tooth for tooth. Whatever injury he has given a person shall be given to him. Whoever kills an animal shall make it good, and whoever kills a person shall be put to death. You shall have the same rule for the sojourner and for the native, for I am the Lord your God. So Moses spoke to the people of Israel, and they brought out of the camp the one who had cursed and stoned him with stones. Thus the people of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses. The Sabbath Year, Chapter 25 The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you, the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years you shall sow your field, and for six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its fruits. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. You shall not reap what grows of itself in your harvest, or gather the grapes of your undressed vine. It shall be a year of solemn rest for the land. The Sabbath of the land shall provide food for you for yourself, and for your male and female slaves, and for your hired worker and the sojourner who lives with you, and for your cattle and for the wild animals that are in your land. All its yield shall be for food. The Year of Jubilee Verse 8 You shall count seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that the time of the seven weeks of years shall give you forty-nine years. Then you shall sound the loud trumpet on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement you shall sound the trumpet throughout all your land. And you shall consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you, when each of you shall return to his property and each of you shall return to his clan. That fiftieth year shall be a jubilee for you. In it you shall neither sow nor reap what grows of itself, nor gather the grapes from the undressed vines. For it is a jubilee. It shall be holy to you. You may eat the produce of the field. In this year of jubilee, each of you shall return to his property. And if you make a sale to your neighbor or buy from your neighbor, you shall not wrong one another. You shall pay your neighbor according to the number of years after the jubilee, and he shall sell to you according to the number of years for crops. If the years are many, you shall increase the price, and if the years are few, you shall reduce the price, for it is the number of the crops that he is selling to you. You shall not wrong one another, but you shall fear your God, for I am the Lord your God. Therefore you shall do my statutes and keep my rules and perform them, and then you will dwell in the land securely. The land will yield its fruit, and you will eat your fill and dwell in it securely. And if you say, What shall we eat in the seventh year, if we may not sow or gather in our crop? I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year, so that it will produce a crop sufficient for three years. When you sow in the eighth year, you will be eating some of the old crop. You shall eat the old until the ninth year, when its crop arrives. Redemption of Property Verse 23 the land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine, for you are strangers and sojourners with me, and in all the country you possess you shall allow a redemption of the land. If your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then his nearest Redeemer shall come and redeem what his brother has sold. If a man has no one to redeem it, 
and then himself becomes prosperous and finds sufficient means to redeem it, let him calculate the years since he sold it and pay back the balance to the man to whom he sold it, and then return to his property. But if he does not have sufficient means to recover it, then what he sold shall remain in the hand of the buyer until the year of jubilee. In the jubilee it shall be released, and he shall return to his property. If a man sells a dwelling house in a walled city, he may redeem it within a year of its sale. For a full year he shall have the right of redemption. If it is not redeemed within a full year, then the house in the walled city shall belong in perpetuity to the buyer throughout his generations. It shall not be released in the jubilee. But the houses of the villages that have no wall around them shall be classified with the fields of the land. They may be redeemed, and they shall be released in the jubilee. As for the cities of the Levites, the Levites may redeem at any time the houses in the cities they possess. And if one of the Levites exercises his right of redemption, then the house that was sold in a city they possess shall be released in the jubilee. For the houses in the cities of the Levites are their possession among the people of Israel. But the fields of pasture land belonging to their cities may not be sold, for that is their possession forever. Kindness to Poor Brothers If your brother becomes poor and cannot maintain himself with you, you shall support him as though he were a stranger and a sojourner, and he shall live with you. Take no interest from him or profit, but fear your God, that your brother may live beside you. You shall not lend him your money at interest, nor give him your food for profit. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan, and to be your God. If your brother becomes poor beside you, and sells himself to you, you shall not make him serve as a slave. He shall be with you as a hired worker and as a sojourner. He shall serve with you until the year of the Jubilee. Then he shall go out from you, he and his children with him, and go back to his own clan and return to the possession of his fathers. For they are my servants, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. They shall not be sold as slaves. You shall not rule over him ruthlessly, but shall fear your God. As for your male and female slaves, whom you may have, you may buy male and female slaves from among the nations that are around you. You may also buy from among the strangers who sojourn with you and their clans that are with you, who have been born in your land, and they may be your property. You may bequeath them to your sons after you to inherit as a possession forever. You may make slaves of them, but over your brothers, the people of Israel, you shall not rule one over another ruthlessly. In Leviticus chapter 24, we learn more about what is required in the holy place. In the Old Covenant, only one tribe of the twelve had access to the middle sanctuary. Only Aaron and his sons of the priestly tribe of Levi were given permission to minister in the middle sanctuary. What about the others? How were they able to experience being in the presence of God? They were represented in the holy place in two ways. First, they were represented in the twelve stones upon the breastplate over the heart of the great high priest. Secondly, they were present before the high priest, represented by the twelve loaves of bread, placed in two stacks upon the table of showbread, with the obvious fragrance of frankincense upon them, ensuring that he would be ever mindful of all the tribes on whose behalf he would be interceding. The Light of the Lampstand Nothing could be visibly manifested in the holy place apart from the light of the lampstand. 
This represents the Holy Spirit's illuminating power in Leviticus 24.1. The priests are to regularly furnish pure oil to keep the lampstand burning in the Lord's presence throughout the night to ensure that they can minister in the light. This reminds us that apart from the Spirit of God, we cannot know the things of God that are prepared for us. In 1 Corinthians 2.9, just as it is written, Things which eye has not seen, and ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love Him. For to us God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. As the priest would enter the tent known as the holy place, he would be facing the altar of incense and the veil that shields from view the inner sanctuary behind it known as the holiest of all, which housed the Ark of the Covenant. The golden lampstand would be on his left, and the table of showbread would be on his right. This is where intercession would be made before the high priest went beyond the veil to sprinkle the blood of the substitutionary sacrifice upon the mercy seat over the ark on the great day of atonement, as we read about in Leviticus chapter 16. In Leviticus 24, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the sons of Israel that they bring to you clear oil from beaten olives for the light, to make a lamp burn continually. I remember visiting the Garden of Gethsemane outside Jerusalem where Jesus prayed his high priestly prayer before being arrested and delivered to those who would crucify him in John chapter 17 and Matthew chapter 26 verses 36 to 46, also in Mark chapter 14 verses 32 to 42 and Luke chapter 22 verses 39 to 44. Ancient olive trees are there to this day. It is fitting that the garden is called Gethsemane as Gethsemane literally means olive press. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus, the light of the world, experienced great spiritual pressure and resistance when he offered his great priestly prayer in Gethsemane. He was feeling the olive press, the agony in the garden. My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death in Matthew 26:38. The outer man was broken that the inner oil would come out, out of his intercession would come pure oil. Jesus' path to the cross would be illuminated with the fresh oil from the olive press, the revelation of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, all he could face would be the dark night of the soul as he suffered betrayal. He prayed three times, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. By the third time, the Spirit's light is blazing with certainty, and Jesus declares, Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Then he says with resolve, Get up, let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. In Leviticus chapter 24, verse 8, we read of the table of showbread. Every Sabbath day he, the priest, shall set it in order before the Lord continually. It is an everlasting covenant for the sons of Israel. We also hear Jesus' illuminated high priestly intercession as if he were at the table of incense before the veil, as he prays, Father, the hour has come, glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, in the Gospel of John, chapter 17, verses 1 to 5. Then he prays for his own in the world, 
in verses 6 through 26. The high priest is prompted to pray for the covenant people of God when he sees the twelve loaves on the table of showbread. Leviticus 24 describes the table upon which twelve loaves are placed, in two rows, or stacks of six, representing the people of God, that is the twelve tribes of Israel, or twelve disciples. These loaves had a small container of frankincense upon the two stacks that gave them a strong fragrance that could not be ignored. It is comforting to know that our intercessor cannot and will not forget us. The laws of God are backed up by His authority. The consequence of breaking His laws are that, with God's disciplinary reinforcement, the transgressor becomes broken. Break the law, and the law breaks you. The Lord disciplined those who did not take the law seriously with a just punishment as prescribed by the law. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, suffered the consequences of disregarding the laws of the tabernacle. They brought strange fire to the altar of incense, an unauthorized form of worship, and consequently were killed in Leviticus 10 verses 1 through 3. The example during the first days of the tabernacle worship brought a healthy fear of the Lord to the church in the wilderness, as much as did the disciplining of Achan in the first days of the conquest of Canaan in Joshua chapter 7, and Ananias and Sapphira in the first days of the early church in Acts chapter 5. In Leviticus chapter 24, the son of Shelomith, the daughter of Dibri, of the tribe of Dan, blasphemed the name of the Lord with a curse. He was a half-Israelite whose father was an Egyptian. He was held in custody until all the details came to light. Then, according to the law, just punishment was administered. The severity of the judgment needs to be seen in the light of a holy God breaking into a world of sinners. Through the law and its reinforcement, the unspeakable sinfulness of sin is plainly shown in Romans chapter 7, verse 13. That's the Weymouth translation. Then we read of the laws of just retribution. Leviticus 24, verses 17 to 23, restates that there should be just retribution for crimes. These laws were very compassionate for its time. Other nations often exacted punishment that was disproportionate to the crime committed or injury suffered. If a person caused another to suffer the loss of an arm, they would often be put to death. But the law of Moses counteracted the lawlessness of the age by limiting punishment to that which was proportionate to the crime. If a man injures his neighbor, just as he has done, so it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, just as he has injured a man, so it shall be inflicted on him. In Leviticus chapter 24, verses 19 to 20. Jesus, as the new Torah, reveals not only the compassion of God in executing justice, but in extending mercy. He says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 38, You have heard that it was said, An eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, Do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Next we read of the year of Jubilee, the fiftieth year after they enter the land. Yesterday we learned about the Sabbath law of rest for the people in Leviticus 23, verse 3, and the sabbatical year of rest for the land in chapter 25, verses 1 to 7. 
the cessation of labor in the sabbatical year provided an opportunity for a special emphasis to be given to the study of the Word of God, especially during the times of the festivals. In Deuteronomy 31, verse 10, Then Moses commanded them, saying, At the end of every seven years, at the time of the year of remission of debts, at the Feast of Booths, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place which He will choose, you shall read this law in front of all Israel in their hearing. Assemble the people, the men and the women and children, and the alien who is in your town, so that they may hear and learn and fear the Lord your God, and be careful to observe all the words of this law. Their children, who have not known, will hear and learn to fear the Lord your God, as long as you live on the land which you are about to cross the Jordan to possess. In Leviticus 25, verse 8, we learn that a year of jubilee is to be held on the fiftieth year, the year after the seventh sabbatical year, the forty-ninth year. This was an extraordinary law that involves the land lying fallow for an additional year, the forty-ninth and fiftieth, and the cancelling of debts, the restoration of lost possessions, and the liberation of slaves. If a person had sold the family inheritance due to a debt incurred in a time of hardship, that inheritance could equitably be restored. God promised that if they would trust Him for this, that He would provide a bumper crop on the sixth year before the seventh Sabbath that would provide enough food for three years. The ram's horn, that is the shofar, was blown on the Day of Atonement to proclaim liberty throughout the land to all the inhabitants. In Leviticus 25, verse 10. There is no record that Israel ever experienced this blessing. But the significance of the Jubilee year and its laws are essential in the vocabulary of redemption. The prophet Isaiah takes up the theme that the Jubilee year is a powerful image to describe the salvation that God has promised to bring through the Messiah. In Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captive, and freedom to prisoners to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. When Jesus commences his ministry, he goes to his local synagogue in Nazareth and opens the scroll to read this passage. After reading it, he closes the scroll and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus was announcing the terms of jubilee coming to fruition through his ministry, the ministry of the Messiah. He was proclaiming the favorable year of the Lord, one in which good news is brought to those afflicted by debt, broken-hearted due to their loss of inheritance, and their captivity as indentured servants. Now let's go to our New Testament reading in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verses 13 to 31. Let the children come to me. Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 13. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. 
Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teach her all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Let's take a few moments to reflect upon the New Testament reading. We start with Jesus blessing the children. Children are aware of their needs. They rarely boast that they don't need any help. They are happy to be blessed by others. Jesus welcomed little children to himself and used them as examples of the humility that is found in saving faith. The kingdom of God is not something we can work for or deserve, yet it is something we desperately need. Children are humble enough to admit that they can't save themselves. They are also happy about receiving gifts. Would that all were happy and humble and ready to receive the gift of the kingdom of God that Jesus offers. In contrast to the happy, humble, and hungry child, next on the scene in the Gospel of Mark is the self-confident, rich, young ruler. He had what everyone today wants. He had money, success, youth, and most likely good looks. People with money usually give some investment in their appearance. And yet he knew that he was lacking something at the core. He needed eternal life. Notice his approach. It was so different from the little children. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He was looking to do something to inherit something, not realizing that you need to be born into the kingdom to inherit it. How blinded we are by our own competencies. Our riches, our youth, our success, talents, knowledge, good looks, and worldly influence cannot buy us the kingdom. No philanthropy or sacrificial service could merit eternal life. Eternal life is only available by a miracle of grace. Jesus would make this clear to his disciples after the rich young ruler leaves. He told them it was as hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven as it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. How hard is that? It is impossible. Most likely the expression was a cultural equivalent to not having a chance of a snowball in hell. Notice how Jesus lovingly engaged the man rather than rebuking him for what must have seemed to him as a ridiculous thought that he could do something to inherit the kingdom. First he questioned the man's standards. Why do you call me good? There is none good but God. In verse 18, he is saying that the standard of goodness is God himself. 
If Jesus is perceived as being good, it is because he is reflecting the nature of God. This standard of moral perfection is one that the rich young ruler could not possibly attain. It was too late. He was already a covetous sinner, and Jesus proves it to him. He says, You know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Which commandments did Jesus omit? The Ten Commandments should convict us of all sin. But the young man replies, Teacher, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. In verse 20, Jesus is a creative teacher, deliberately omitted the command, You must not covet, as if to prompt the rich young ruler to recognize something was lacking in his record of assumed righteousness. Covetousness causes us to put things or people in the place of God. Covetousness is idolatry. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, One thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. So Jesus says, There is still one thing you lack. There is one thing you haven't done. What was that thing? It was to repent. The rich young ruler was still thinking there was something he could do to inherit eternal life. Jesus was not saying that this man could be saved if he gave away his goods. He was saying that he needed to repent of his sin of covetousness and self-righteousness and follow him to the cross to discover the good news of salvation by grace through faith in him. Now let's read from the book of Psalms, Psalm 44, verses 9 through 26. But you have rejected us and disgraced us and have not gone out with our armies. You have made us turn back from the foe, and those who hate us have gotten spoil. You have made us like sheep for slaughter, and have scattered us among the nations. You have sold your people for a trifle, demanding no high price for them. You have made us the taunt of our neighbors, the derision and scorn of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nations, a laughingstock among the peoples. All day long my disgrace is before me, and shame has covered my face. At the sound of the taunter and reviler, at the sight of the enemy and the avenger. All this has come upon us, though we have not forgotten you, and we have not been false to your covenant. Our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way. Yet you have broken us in the place of jackals, and covered us with the shadow of death. If we had forgotten the name of our God, or spread out our hands to a foreign god, would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart. Yet for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Awake! Why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. Rise up, come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. This second portion of Psalm 44 is a plea for vindication. The people of God have suffered defeat at the hands of their enemies. In the light of God's covenant relationship with His people and their past supernatural deliverances, their current sufferings do not make sense to them. The writer feels that he and the nation of Israel have been unfairly victimized for their identification with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They feel abandoned. They feel that, somehow, God has gone to sleep. The cry of the psalmist is for God to wake up and demonstrate His love. The Apostle Paul quotes Psalm 44:11 11 
in the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 36, but with a New Testament perspective, just as it is written in Romans 8, 36, For your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. To suffer in this world is not to conclude that God does not love us, in Romans 8.37, but in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Paul is able to endure the onslaughts of injustice and persecution, knowing that he has been made one with God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Marvel not if the world hates you. Even today, God's people suffer for their identification with Christ. In Colossians 1.24, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Jesus' sufferings were not lacking in their redemptive value. His suffering on the cross provided full atonement. What does Paul mean when he speaks of filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions? Jesus endured in his physical body only the hatred of those living in his part of the world, in his generation, where he lived at the time. We as members of his corporate body will suffer in our generation the reproach that fell upon him. Why? Because we are identified with him. The world in which we live is subject to the rule of darkness and hates the light. But be of good cheer. Light dispels darkness. He has overcome the world. And now we conclude with our reading from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 10, verses 20 and 21. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. The righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. This proverb gives a distinct contrast between believers and non-believers. How is it with your tongue? Is your communication redemptive? Silver is a symbol speaking of redemption. How is it with your heart? Is it regarded as precious? How is it with your lips? Do you nourish others with your speech? What is your understanding of God? What is your understanding of His character, His purposes, and His plans? How will you use your tongue this day to encourage others? Let's pray. Father, we are reminded as we read your word that we are dependent upon the illuminating power of the Holy Spirit to see what you have furnished for us in the finished work of Christ. We humbly ask that you speak to us and teach us through your word and enable us to walk in the light as you are in the light. Thank you for the fellowship we share with you and your people through your word and your Holy Spirit. We renounce any vestige of self-justification. Forgive us of self-righteous attitudes or claims that betray our utter need for what you provide for us in Christ. Help us to recognize your love, forsake our self-centered, self-seeking ways, and follow you wholeheartedly. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining with us today. And if you would like to get a written copy of today's meditation, you can go to our website, newlife.org, and subscribe to a daily email. Also, if you'd like to stay in touch with us, you can subscribe to this podcast. And if you have any questions or comments, you can write us at podcast at newlife.org. Again, thank you and God bless you.